episode 11, Stablecoins. Introduction. Where do stablecoins come from? Well, in some ways, stablecoins go right back to the start of money itself. A coin is supposed to be a stable form of value, dependent on the value of what the coin was made up of. One gold sovereign was worth one gold sovereign, and so it kept stable in value. Of course, over time, the monetary basis has been debased. So today, most coins are copper or fake alloy, made to look like gold or silver. So of course, stable coins are never really stable. Their value goes up and down, dependent on their nature. This is something I think really gets to the heart of stable coins. It's stable relative to what? So today, we are introduced to stable coins as something stable relative to fiat money. One US dollar tether is equal to one US dollar. But dollars aren't really stable, I would argue. It can of course inflate or deflate in value. Fiat money is inflating at 10 to 15% a year when judged against assets like housing. And so it's not really stable from my point of view. Raise really a stable coin based on the UK housing market that uses the funds it raises to buy up housing and land so the coin deflates at 15% a year and you might have something that looks a more genuine quote-unquote stable value relative to anything else. One acre of land will always be one acre of land, just like one bitcoin is always going to be one bitcoin. This episode isn't really about fiat money or coins, but the ongoing and proliferating private issuance of these so-called stable coins. In some ways, this is just another natural part of the digital monetary revolution. But in our analysis of stable coins, we should draw a lot from Austrian economics about the role private currency issuance and free banking models can provide. So in short, what is the point of stable coins? Well, stable coins allow for fixed values or should we say notionally fixed values, like the dollar or sterling. It allows them to be used natively on the internet and sent across the internet without the need for a bank. This is the most current use case of stablecoins. So why might you need this? Think about it. You are a trader, businessman or whatever, and you want to hedge against Bitcoin or other crypto securities, natural risk, because they might go up and down in value. You can hedge easily by moving the value into the dollar value. And with stablecoins, you can do this without having to go through the cumbersome banking system. Stablecoins could also be added on top of already existing blockchains to develop commerce and stable trades, or to make completely new forms of stable value. The potential is revolutionary. Future US dollar or Great British Pound stablecoins could use the Lightning Network Protocol as sort of an invisible digital rail to send payments across cyberspace in an instant, without touching a bank and with minimal fees. Whole stablecoin ecosystems could exist, which takes on stable values of various forms. Tesla could, for example, trade a lithium metal stablecoin. One lithium coin is worth one pound of lithium, say and Tesla might occasionally trade lithium stablecoins to ensure they can get all the lithium they need 
at the best price and at the right time. The potential uses of stablecoins are legion, but there are of course problems too. I had planned to do an episode on stablecoins for a while. After doing an episode on one of the other great narrative rises of 2022, Monero and privacy coins, the other trend of the year so far has been in stablecoins. And for many, for a few months, stablecoins looked like the next big thing in crypto space. The Lunar Project's attempt to buy Bitcoin and give value to its algorithmic stablecoin was just the beginning, it seemed, in the growth of stablecoins. The project seemed noteworthy. There had been lots of talk of other stablecoins being issued, and the concept was growing in potential and value. Seamless value transactions in dollars across cyberspace, with no US government or banking involvement at a time of Russian sanctions, was obviously of interest to many. Then it all went wrong, especially for Du Quan. The Bitcoin price dropped suddenly, and Luna was under attack from shorts. The price of US Terra dropped below the $1 peg, and once it dropped, the Luna Foundation, it was clear for all to see, would never be able to maintain its peg. Its Bitcoin had been bought at a higher price than it could sell for, and now the run was on. US Terra saw a run on its peg, and the whole scenario played out in a similar way to a traditional banking run. And in many ways, it was a bank run. The same as any other in history other than the fact no governments intervened and the project was allowed to fail. So, where do stablecoins originate? Well, there have been talk about them on various forums for a while in the early years of Bitcoin, but the origins come from J.R. Willett in 2010 talking about building currencies on top of the Bitcoin protocol. His proposals eventually turned into Tether. It took until 2014 for the world's first stablecoin to be issued and used. BitUS Dollar was released on July 21, 2014. It was issued as a token on the BitShares blockchain. BitUS Dollar was collateralized by crypto and backed by Bitcoin Shares core token called BTS. It was locked in a smart contract to act as collateral. BitUS Dollar lost its parity to the US dollar in late 2018, which triggered heavy criticism. The other early stablecoin was Nubits, released in September 2014, and again governed by Seniorage, much like the Lunar system would be. This ultimately caused it to shed 94% of its value. Since its beginning, Nubits saw two crashes, one in 2016 and the other in 2018, which resulted in investors panicking and struggling to offload back into real fiat. Nubit shows that the crypto market is efficient. You would expect there to be increased demand for stablecoins during the bear market, and you would also expect to see a solid downward pressure on stablecoins prices in bull markets. This is largely what played out. So the biggest stablecoin on the market, and the one that is the source of much fear, uncertainty and doubt around Bitcoin is Tether. The stablecoin has a complicated relationship to Bitfinex, the biggest Bitcoin exchange. It started as a concept to make collateralized off-chain stablecoins and be backed by genuine US dollars. It was initially called Realcoin before being rebranded. 
It is not much liked by US authorities, but it has been the most successful stable coin ever released, mostly due to its relationship with Bitfinex. The origins of Tether were in a white paper published by J.R. Willett describing the possibilities of building currencies on top of Bitcoin. Willett followed up on this idea with what he called Mastercoin before it turned into Realcoin. The Tether project was eventually completed and then instantly listed on Bitfinex. Bitfinex and Tether are said to be separate corporate entities, but this has caused some speculation as both their ownership structures are opaque. Both companies have the same CEO and feels a bit too much like a giveaway to me. The intricacies of Tether are for another day, mostly because nobody really knows much about Tether anyway, but it seems to be working as intended, despite its vague ownership structure. But at the end of the day, the only thing that matters for any stablecoin is its liquidity and its confidence. Tether is said to be a backed stablecoin, kept to its peg by actual US dollars in reserve, that can be deployed on demand to move money around in case of rapid demand shifts. Who knows the truth of this, but despite all of the supposed problems about Tether, it has never had anything remotely happen to it like happened to Luna. But Tether is not the only type of stablecoins. Other types of stablecoins are commodity-backed stablecoins, cryptocurrency-backed stablecoins, and the seigniorage-style algo coins that allegedly use algorithms to control the money supply. These stablecoins offer some advantages to fiat money and in using it as a hedge against Bitcoin. Stablecoins offer global borderless payments, different types of hedges for traders, and a supposedly less speculative element to the crypto market. Stablecoins are used by a variety of people for a variety of reasons, like commercial payments between countries where wire transfer is impossible or impractical, for recurring payments, long-term hedging, and for use in crypto trading and in wealth management. But for me, the most important aspect of stablecoins, over that of Bitcoin, is for the potential in private currency issuance. Stablecoins will proliferate into real online digital banking options based around private money issuance. Even something like gold-backed digital currencies could be issued, enabling a stablecoin foundation or company to use the reserves to buy gold, like the Bank of England might have done 100 years ago. Stablecoins could not just allow for central bank digital currencies, but a proliferation in local bank digital currencies too. LBDCs could be the future of decentralised stablecoins to avoid the horrors of central bank digital currencies. So, it would be remiss of me not to talk about Luna and its revolutionary collapse in more detail. Luna was one of the biggest market events in the broader space of digital money since perhaps the Mount Gox collapse. Yet it was instructive for all, and for those who had no money in Luna, a pretty vindicating episode. Luna was not the first blow up in the crypto space, and it won't be the last. It may have been one of the quickest however, taking just a day or two to go from working into full implosion and game over. Luna was doing very well it seemed for a while. Some of the altcoiners I knew had been into Luna for some time. Like Solana 2, which had gone up hugely in value, I had always been tempted but never invested any money into it. Sure, it sounded good, 
and would make me a lot of money. After all, the price of the lunar coin was under a dollar when I first heard about it, similar to Solana. Luna looked to be a good project, well, as good as any in the crypto space, and perhaps capable of being a rival to Tether to some extent. Tether, which supposedly has all the dollars in reserve to enable it to keep its peg, might have looked quite inefficient to some, especially to Du Quan, who created the Terra blockchain, of which Luna was the native coin. Designed to work as an algorithmic stablecoin, where the peg of one US Terra to one US dollar was kept at all times through a complex mechanism designed to keep the supply and demand of the coin level. Called a burn and mint equilibrium, the one token, US Terra, is kept stable by the burning or the minting of Luna, the native coin. US Terra could be deposited in the Anchor protocol, essentially a bank offering 20% interest rates. The high yielding mechanism may not have been too high, had the system been able to work and grow rapidly. The rapid adoption of the protocol was all that was needed to keep the system going, but in essence that is the nature of all Ponzi schemes. In the previous few months, the system was challenged both in the courts and regulatory authorities over some of its practices. The promotion of the rapid growth model and the use of this to then buy Bitcoin for the reserves of the Lunar Treasury made the project grow and grow in both scale and ambition, but also the intention of one would imagine two competitors. Who were Lunar's competitors? Well, of course, Tether, but also the people who own the US dollar system, the US government, the Federal Reserve and the banks. Luna could have grown exponentially, especially if the billions of dollars of Bitcoin it had bought grew in value too. They could then mint billions and billions more of US terror. More and more money would be deposited into the system and it might start looking like a rival shadow banking sector to those on Wall Street. So what happened next? Well, nobody really knows for sure. Rumours that Du Quan may have had allegiances to enemy regimes and ulterior motives in trying to bypass the US dollar payment system were, and still are, out there. Rumours of large US banks borrowing Bitcoin to sell and drive down the price, and once it started to drop, shorting Luna to force it to sell its Bitcoin at a price lower than it bought for. These rumours have been denied but I would still believe it. So all we know is what happened, and that was the loss of the peg, and the start of the algorithmic burning of tokens, and the selling of Bitcoin to try and meet the selling. With the Bitcoin price now lower, there would be no way they could ever meet the peg. The network was essentially crippled within a couple of hours, and both the peg and lunar coin dropped and dropped and dropped. It was essentially a bank run. $45 billion was wiped out in about a week. This may be in our minds quite a lot when we hear about stablecoins over the coming years, but this is natural. For many, the collapse of Mt. Gox was of near apocalyptic importance, and for many signalled an end to the whole Bitcoin project. Of course, in the short term it was totemic. The largest exchange by far had collapsed, many people lost fortunes, and Bitcoin went down 80%. It was not the end, however, far from it. 
Lunar's collapse is just another example of the free market proving its reign in this space. Stable coins are an obvious part of the future of the monetary revolution. Yet what is actually stable about them may remain a question for future generations to answer. They may originally have been a device to use fiat currency standards without the bothersome troubles of the banking sector. But they will result in so much more. From being able to represent the value of commodities to price baskets like CPI or other inflationary and deflationary measures, stable coins could see a return to private local banking and currency issuance by banks, which may be important in many future economies. Whole circular economies and just-in-time supply chains may need forms of programmable stable coins that may not even be monetary in nature, but simply stable tokens in order to adjudge where value and goods lie. Forms of stable coins will stay with us and will be an important part of the monetary revolution. The lunar crash aside, stable coins are here to stay. Many will be destroyed and will disappear. Most will die a slow or a fast death, but some stable coins won't. So thanks for listening to that episode. We will be back in the next one with a long overdue episode of Proof of Work and the quite revolutionary aspect it will have on mankind. See you then.